Welcome back to the podcast from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. This is Dr. Chuck McGaffey. Uh, last Sunday was Easter, and we had our traditional Easter music uh, celebration. We were a little bit taken aback, though, because we were not able to broadcast as normal. Uh, that was due to our phone and internet lines going out at that time, so it affects us. Technology affects us like everyone else. Well, this is the sermon for the second Sunday after Easter, uh, which is actually the first Sunday after Easter in some people's minds, but it is the Sunday for April 16th, 2023, and this is on Psalm 23. The title of this message is Easter Shoah. I would like to uh, share with you some thoughts out of that psalm. First of all, let me read to you the psalm that it is based on. It's in Mitkem of David. Protect me, God, because I depend on you. Some of you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Every good thing I have comes from you. But you have also said about the gods of this land, they are my powerful gods. They are the ones who make me happy. But those who worship other gods will have many troubles. I will not share in the gifts of blood they offer to their idols. I will not even say their names. Lord, you give me all that I need. You support me. You give me my share. My share is wonderful. My inheritance is very beautiful. I praise the Lord because he taught me well. Even at night, he put his instructions deep inside my mind. I always remember that the Lord is with me. He is here close by my side, so nothing can defeat me. So my heart and soul will be very happy. Even my body will live in safety because you will not leave me in the place of death. You will not let your faithful one rot in the grave. You will teach me the right way to live. Just being with you will complete happiness. Being at your right side will make me happy forever. As we come together, as a Christ-following community, this second Sunday after Easter, it so happens that today falls on an important event commemorated in the Jewish community. Many Jews observe Yom HaShoah within the synagogue, as well as in the broader Jewish community. Commemorations range from synagogue services to communal vigils and educational programs. Some congregations now find it more practical to hold commemorative ceremonies on the closest Sunday to Yom HaShoah, while others celebrate the day on April 19th, which is the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. While it may seem strange that I, as a Christian minister, would make mention of this on a day when we who follow Christ celebrate his resurrection, I'd like to offer a few reasons why I think it should be brought up in the church. Let me start with a basic fact of our faith. Before I say this, I want to prepare you. If you share this with some people, some Christian people, you will not only encounter misunderstanding, But you may also even encounter outright hostility. Far too many are misinformed about their faith and see a separation where one was never intended. You see, we are deeply connected 
to Hebrew faith and culture. We as Christian people read the scriptures, both testaments as a whole. We believe that the same God that spoke to the ancient Jews also speaks to us. The Apostle Paul wrote of the Gentile church as being grafted into the faith of Abraham. We are, therefore, not to see ourselves as separated, but related. Christianity is, in fact, a form of Judaism. Now, this has not been universally acknowledged or observed. Historically, we know that those who bear the name Christian have often, cruelly, and against the teaching of Christ and the apostles, demonstrated an evil hatred toward our spiritual kinfolk. (coughs) From the denial of golf club memberships to gas chambers, people professing to believe in a first-century rabbi named Jesus have regularly, by their actions, declared they never knew him. So I think it is long due that in the church of Yeshua bar Joseph that we begin with the truth. The truth is we cannot be his follower if we make no attempt to understand who he was, who he loved, and who he died to save. Another reason why I bring up Shoah short for Yam HaShoah, is this. There are people I love who need to hear a word of genuine faith and encouragement, justice and truth and grace about the painful fact of the Holocaust. The origins of the word Holocaust come from the Greek holos and kostos, which combined mean totally burnt. At its core, the term describes an animal sacrifice totally burnt on an altar in order to please a god. The question that naturally arises, where was and where is God? A few weeks ago, my son and his wife visited the National Holocaust Museum in in Washington, D.C. I was very impressed that given all the attractions of our nation's capital, that Michael and Allison selected this place to visit while he is on a short tour of duty before his reassignment in Germany. I mean, let's face it, it is a place of pain and painful questions. I can easily imagine a lot of happier places young people might want to go to enjoy their precious free time, but the part of their souls that drew them to the honest history of human evil and its consequences made me, as a father, very proud. They serve in the Navy, and I expect that speaks well for their reasons for service. The words never again must echo in their ethical consciences as they both lead young men and women in their roles as officers in the Navy. When Michael was just a toddler, I took him to the Nazi death camp at Dachau, Germany. His only memory of that, I am sure, are the stories he heard from me and his mom. What I remember most were the churches that stood so close to the camp. I also remember the well-planned and organized nature of the facility itself. As you enter the gate, there is the lie still proclaiming its deception. Hard work will make you free. And there I saw buildings built to last a long time, and finally the ovens whose horror time can never erase. And then there is my wife, my wife of Polish descent. 
Her grandfather saved so many from her family. They fled to America, yet in this country, primarily due to the abundance of small-minded bigotry, they changed their family name to Maddie. When they got out, but not they got out, but not everyone, Tony, which is short for the Polish Antoinette, had an opportunity to return to Poland, and when she was there, she visited the most notorious of all death camps, a book simply entitled Auschwitz, written in Polish as a permanent place on our bookshelf. Translated into English, it puts it rather starkly. In Auschwitz, Nazism put into practice its policy of the extermination of all its enemies, regardless of their citizenship, political convictions, origin, and religion. Pseudoscientific theories on the superiority of the Nordic race sentenced hundreds of thousands of people to death. The majority of people sent to Auschwitz, first of all the Jews, died at once after arriving at the camp. They died in gas chambers and their names were not written down in the camp records. Therefore, it is very difficult to determine precisely the number of dead. It was not very difficult for Tony. As she toured that place of horror, she saw the name Matusevich on one of the suitcases of the victims. Before her family changed their name to Matty, it was Matusevich. Then and there she knew it was her kin who had died there. A forever reminder that the Shoah, the Holocaust, is our connection too. No one escapes our past. Together we must forge a better future. Our faith is at stake. How does it speak to Shoah? In asking this, our questions echo those of our Jewish kin. Written by Rabbi Abraham Avi Weiss, a modern Orthodox rabbi in New York. This is how he put it to his flock. While Yom HaShoah rituals vary, this day holds great meaning for Jews worldwide. The overwhelming theme that runs through all observances is the importance of recalling the victims of this catastrophe to ensure that such a tragedy never happen again. Sorry. The Shoah poses an enormous challenge to Judaism and raised many questions, he goes on. Can one be a believing Jew after the Holocaust? Where was God? How can one have faith in humanity? Facing this recent event in history, does it really matter if one practices Judaism? Jewish theologians and laity have struggled with these questions for decades. The very fact that Jews still identify Jewishly, practice their religion, and have embraced the observance of Yom HaShoah answers some of the questions raised by the Holocaust. And that's what he wrote. UNC professor Bart D. Ehrman, a self-professed former Christian, gets something many self-professed Christians do not. He understands a relationship between Good Friday and Easter that should be understood. Listen how he explains that resurrection without crucifixion is the wrong path. Those who celebrate the glory of the resurrection but neglect the pain of Good Friday are always in danger of going down the wrong path. 
As a scholar of the New Testament, I'm convinced it was not the path of Jesus. The ultimate sacrifice for others on Good Friday was not a merely inconvenient stepping stone to a glorious victory at Easter. And the ultimate victory at Easter was not a warrant to use power to harm and destroy others, to acquire masses of wealth in a city of gold, and to achieve world domination. Just the contrary. The resurrection was meant to show that in the end, God sets his mark on a life of service. Easter is not the goal, but the surprising outcome. These are strong and informative opinions. They, we do not need to turn. We do not need to turn away from our Bible, though, but to understand the relationship between Shoah and Easter. It was established long before. In a mitkim of David, we read one of the most treasured of all psalms. That word mitkam is obscure in the Hebrew, but we think it may indicate that while all of the Psalms were important, there were a few special ones, mitkams, <clears throat> that were golden. These require special attention. Our scripture reading today echoes both Easter and Good Friday. Listen now to Psalm 16 in a slightly different version. Psalm 16, a mitkam psalm of David. Protect me, God, for the only safety I know is found in the moments I seek you. I told you, eternal one, you are my Lord, for the only good I know is this world is found in you alone. The beauty of faith-filled people encompasses me. They are true, and my heart is filled beyond measure. All the while, the despair of many who abandon your goodness for the empty promises of false gods increases every day. I refuse to pour out blood offerings to utter their names from my lips. You, eternal one, are my sustenance and my life-giving cup. In that cup, you hold my future and my eternal riches. My home is surrounded in beauty. You have gifted me with abundance and a rich legacy. I will bless the eternal whose wise teaching orchestrates my days and centers my mind at night. He is ever present with me. At all times, he goes before me. I will not live in fear or abandon my calling because he stands at my right hand. This is a good life. My heart is glad, my soul is full of joy, and my body is at rest. Who could want for more? You will not abandon me to experience grave and the death, death and the grave, or leave me to rot alone. Instead, you direct me on the path that leads to a beautiful life. As I walk with you, the pleasures are never-ending. I know true joy and contentment. I have read the scripture twice now, and I hope you have heard what it was that I believe made the ancient Jews classify this psalm as special as a mitkam. You see, while it addresses pain, it also places it in perspective. There is this amazing promise, this amazing confidence that says, you will not abandon me to experience death and the grave or leave me to rot alone. Many first century Jews saw in that a promise of life beyond the grave. The early Christians understood it as a reference to the resurrection itself. I think that one of the most painful lessons of life is that this life is unavoidably painful. The fact that we have any moments of joy at all are set in the context of struggle. If you think about it, our moments of greatest happiness seem to follow those when the circumstances of life are most overwhelming. 
The diagnosis that is not as bad as it first appeared. The unexpected check in the mail that helps us pay a past due bill. The birth of a child that in some ways lessens the sting of death we feel so deeply. All of these are times when we feel our load lightened just a bit. Yet if we are to be really honest, we know that in only a few days, if not hours, our anxiety will creep back in. We will be threatened once again. Our peace will be but a tantalizing taste of a thing that is elusive and vanishes like a vapor. This psalm, I think, recognizes that reality. Somehow, if read in the context of the composure of these words, we might be able to relate to the Jewish king who lived a life defined by violence, warfare, betrayal, and grief. For many years, David was the target of the most powerful person in the land. His predecessor, King Saul, attempted many times to eliminate what he perceived to be his rival, What is it like to live every moment of every day conscious of the fact that the king wants you dead? Saul eventually died, but David's problems did not end there. His emerging nation found itself engaged in constant warfare. Surrounded by his enemies, David had to live his life as a warrior. Those in our modern age illustrate just how devastating this can be. From post-traumatic stress to an inability to maintain normal, healthy human relationships, we are well aware that a warrior lifestyle always takes casualties. In my own life, I have seen how diligently warriors must work at dealing with the effects of the occupation. David no doubt did this, but let's not for a moment pretend it was easy. Late in life, in our golden years, we long for the good feeling that we have raised a loving family in. That that may be the experience of some, but it was not the experience of King David. Have you heard of his betrayal and grief at the hands of his own son, Absalom? Absalom rebelled against his father and tried to take his kingdom from him by eliminating the man who not only gave him life, but loved him deeply. Listen to the voice of David once he learns that Absalom has been killed. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now that we know a bit more about the life of this man, we're ready to engage with the psalm he penned. But before we do that, let's do something more. Let's transport ourselves to our own time. Imagine the horror of life in a Nazi concentration camp. Now imagine you were a rabbi, a priest, or a pastor trying to reassure your fellow inmates of God's presence. How hard would that be? Would Psalm 16 be read as shallow words? Or would this miktam be regarded as an everlasting hope? Would you lose your faith too, or perhaps find it in some deeper, more mysterious way? Would you be like those Jews who, hiding in a damp and dark cellar, trying to escape the Holocaust, scratched into a stone wall in Cologne, Germany? I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when there's no one there. And I believe in God even when he is silent. When the disciples of Jesus watched him die, they undoubtedly experienced the most desolate pain a human being could encounter. Only a few days before, their hopes had soared. The entry of triumph into Jerusalem, the challenge of 
to the corrupt temple practices, the miraculous, wondrous power of Jesus over sickness and death had ended in betrayal, abandonment, torture, and death. That was a day we ironically call Good Friday. But what about Saturday? What was that like? Did Psalm 16 even enter their thoughts? Personally, I doubt it. They may have even asked those same questions asked by the rabbi I quoted earlier. Where was God? Is there a God? Yet somehow the words remain. Into their mystery and hope we are compelled to wonder, is it true? The psalmist wrote, he is ever present with me. At all times he goes before me. I will not live in fear or abandon my calling because he stands at my right hand. This is a good life. My heart is glad. My soul is full of joy and my body is at rest. Who could ask for more? You will not abandon me to experience death in the grave or leave me to rot alone. What was that? What was meant? Is this the promise of the Miktam song? God is with us. Death even, death is not more powerful than the love of God. Though our pain is real, resurrection is not the goal, but the surprising outcome. Today, we, every one of us, face death. Yet some of us will find a way to look beyond the pain into the very heart of God. We will believe and hold on to the promise that we love and follow the Lord of life. In him, we have our hope now and forever. Let us pray. Lord of resurrection life, teach us what it is to really trust in you. We pray for those who are suffering. We pray for ourselves when the dark doubts crowd our hope out. Give us the honesty to acknowledge the pain of this world, but to also acknowledge that you have overcome the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.